Take the guesswork out of your cannabis shopping with the ECS DNA kit by Endocana Health. If you take pride in your canna nerdiness or are just canna curious, this kit empowers you to find more about the best cannabis choices. Right now, you can save 25% off your DNA test at endodna.com using promo code POD25. Your purchase includes the Endo DNA Collection Kit, Endo Decoded Report, personalized cannabinoid and terpene suggestions, and Endo Align products matching in your state. There will also be suggested dosage guidelines and optimum methods for inhalation or usage. Once you know your personal ECS data, you can shop Endo supplements tailored specifically for you. And right now, Endo DNA is celebrating their new patent with a buy one, get one offer on their Afika soft gel lineup. And since I know that many of you struggle with sleep, I want to highlight Afika Unwind, created to support health sleep cycles using patented proprietary formulations of hemp-derived CBD, terpenes, and essential oils. If sleep is eluding you, sweet dreams are in your future. Buy one for yourself and get one for a friend at endodna.com. And don't forget promo code POD25 at the checkout for 25% off your DNA test kit. This is The Cannamom Show, a podcast chronicling the inspiring stories of real women in the emerging cannabis industry. Your host, Joyce Gerber, mom, lawyer, political activist, has been speaking with women from coast to coast who are leaders in the revolution of cannabis and caregiving. Now, in season two, The Cannamom Show continues on its mission to empower women-centric cannabis businesses by sharing their stories with you. Go make yourself a cup of tea or roll yourself a joint, sit back, and learn something new about this magical plant on The Cannamom Show with Joyce Gerber. From the Tip O'Neill Studios in North Cambridge, Massachusetts, it's The Cannamom Show. Now here's your host, Joyce Gerber. Welcome. Hey, Dave. Hello. It's springtime in New England. It's pretty, huh? Yeah. It's almost too much to handle. We can eat outside at restaurants and maybe soon eat inside. And oh, my goodness, the joy. And travel and travel and And travel. travel, So I just before I begin, I just wanted to mention a new app I learned about on Clubhouse because I learned literally everything about life these days on Clubhouse. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I love to travel. Haven't been left this room really for a year and a half. And I've had an idea since I spent so much time here for a future Cannamom show venture, a tour of North Cambridge led by my husband because he's like a nerdy North Cambridge can, you know, tour now and he can, you know, tie in tip of court. And then maybe if my boarding house ever empties and my son graduates, we could turn the downstairs into like an Airbnb cannabis friendly. What do you think? Wow. That's big news. That's breaking news. <laughs> so, I, But it's not yet. Well, I got to imagine. I, don't, I forget if we've talked about this before on the show, but cannabis-friendly Airbnbs must be a thing. It must be a popular thing. That's what I learned about. Mm-hmm. There's an app. It's called 420 BNB. People, mm. it exists. So somebody out there has developed this app to help you find a place in the world that you want to travel that will let you consume your cannabis. So, I, th- I would have gone with Airbnb and J. You know, <laughs> you get a J. You get- you can smoke a J in your B and B. 
<laughs> maybe I'll mention if I meet him on. I haven't really talked to him. I just heard about it. So when I mentioned it to him, I'll say maybe your next beta. So yeah. so that's that. That's traveling people. We might actually leave everywhere. We're excited. The mask thing is changing and vaccines. Mm. And I do want to give another plug for my Canadian cannabis sisters who are organizing a series of virtual cannabis education events this summer. So if you are curious about the origins of cannabis dating back 6,000, I say 10,000 years, and how it's been used by women through the ages, you should definitely attend. The first one is June 18th. Uh, You'll have a bit of fun learning about and connecting with this ancient plant and the woman who used it. Just visit evescollective.com to register. And it's going to be something, I think, international Canadian-American bonding. Love it. Yep, yep, yep. And uh, just a quick quilt update. Ta-da! The Women of the Amazing Technicolor Cannabis Quilt Giveaway is open. (laughs) The registration is out there. It's on our Instagram. It's in our newsletter. Oh, is there going to be music? One second. Yeah, hold on. Well, it, it definitely puts you in a good mood every time you hear that, right? That's the point of this. We're adding some joy and lightness to the world because mm-hmm. it's been a very dark year. So this quilt, the women of the amazing Technicolor Cannabis Quilt, could be yours. And all you have to do is enter. Give me your email. And this isn't even required. But if you would tell me what your favorite The Canna Mom Show podcast is, that'll just make me happy. So it's open until the end of May. Enter many times, I think. See what happens. And there could be other giveaways, too, because people are excited about this. And purple and red and, and gold and, and I don't know. <laughs> I used to know all of I did. I knew it by heart. I actually did. Our high school did it. I think I made an actual. I'm a sewer, so I think I actually made the code of many colors for our high school musical. We did it at Camp Tell Noah. That was a big Camp Tell Noah thing. Oh, yeah, that was definitely, that's probably, yeah. definitely, I know everything about musical theater from Camp Till Nowhere. Yes. Yeah. All right. So I know people don't really care about camp, but we do. All right. <laughs> One more thing. Before we begin, I just want to thank Red Belly Honey for making today's show possible. Red Belly Honey, as you know, is a bit different from anything I've tried before and probably anything you've tried too. Red Belly Honey is a hemp honey that contains the best benefits of CBD. And to find out why it's so different, stay tuned. I'll explain later in the show. So that is all my stuff. Anything else you want to share, Dave? No, it's a, I don't know. It's a happy day. I, I feel hope in the air. It's just, and it's a weird feeling. It's almost like we've been so conditioned to staying inside and really not enjoying ourselves that I almost feel guilty to go outside and enjoy myself. It's just like, yeah. are, are we sure we're allowed to do this? <laughs> but know, yes, a, it might actually happen. The human brain is confusing. Yes. Uh, Yeah. Okay. So let's go on. We have a guest today and we are definitely continuing to focus on Massachusetts women working in cannabis. And today's guest is the director of wholesale sales at Northeast Alternatives, a medical and adult use dispensary in Fall River, Massachusetts. She is also a policy wonk and has been involved with cannabis and hemp industries as an advisor, consultant, and educator in Massachusetts and has been an industry leader for many years and BC before COVID, I used to see today's guest at many of the cannabis events in and around Boston, but lately I only see her on Zoom. So here to talk about her work here in Massachusetts as a marketer, an advocate, and a business entrepreneur, please welcome to the Cannamom Show, Hillary King. 
Welcome, Hillary. Hi, Joyce. Thank you so much for having me. I'm happy for being here. And, you know, you're my kicking off, ending my month of May, I mean, month of April, women of Massachusetts in cannabis. I think we're a special breed. You know, it was adult mm-hmm. use here first. We've, I talked to a lot of women on the West Coast just because it's a more established industry, but we're digging roots deep here. So why don't we just start? How did you start working in Massachusetts and cannabis? How'd this even begin? Well, it began from my experience becoming a medical patient, actually. In, you know, growing up, I was never really interested in cannabis, you know, recreationally, even through college and through my 20s. It was just never really a part of my life. And in fact, I would admit that in high school, I probably had kind of a stigma. I actually put a couple of ladies in cannabis say that, which I think is so funny. Like they ran the DARE program in their schools or got money funded. Yeah. I won a DARE award. Yeah. (laughs) And, you know, I also had an experience with my older sister when we were in high school, she got in trouble for having cannabis in her locker. And I was, you know, the younger sister playing sports and getting A's. And I, you know, definitely was a little judgy in hindsight, because now so many years later, the tables have completely turned. That's funny. All right. So I like to hear Um, these stories. Oftentimes I hear the stories of the people who were, I don't know, they were always using it and getting in trouble. So you're kind of like me. I did. I thought it killed brain cells. I was worried about it. And I had an awakening late in life. So what happened to you? Yeah. Well, I... I was working as a, you know, after college, I went to Northeastern University. I love Northeastern. My whole world resolves around the Huskies. Go Huskies. Yeah. Yeah, Generations, husband, me, my interns. And (laughs) so I graduated from Northeastern in 2010. And my degree was in sports medicine, athletic training was what it's called. So Mm -hmm. I basically, I, I used that knowledge and went into a career as a yoga teacher, a weightlifting and CrossFit coach, personal trainer and wellness coach. And then in my late twenties, kind of in the course of that work, I had an experience with, you know, this is going to get intense real fast, okay. choice, but we like intense. Yeah, I had an experience with, uh, unfortunately, kind of a a stalker experience that turned into, you know, a front page of the newspaper and is in and out of court for a while. I don't talk about this a lot, you know, not not many people in the industry here, even here in Massachusetts, know this about my background. But that experience, you know, after that, I left the country. Wow. Um, You know, this, it was kind of a a traumatic experience and you know was in and out of court about it and I just decided to drop everything and I went to the literally as far away as I possibly could to the other side of the world where'd you go and I I went to Asia initially I spent about six months in Asia studying Thai massage how old were you when you did this Hillary I was about 26 right going on 27 Yep. And I ended up on a small island in Cambodia, off the coast of Cambodia, and kind of found a little home there for a few months teaching yoga every morning. And that was where I encountered cannabis on the beach from some fellow backpackers from the Netherlands. And, you know, I kind of had a, a, an experience where I felt that moment where all of my, you know, anxiety, all of the, you know, the stress that I had been holding in my nervous system that I didn't even necessarily realize was affecting me 
just shifted. And I remember the moment vividly where I was like, oh, my entire life just got better now that I know <laughs> what wow. this feels like. So you were, okay, and so I, I can, I don't understand the trauma. I mean, I was a mother. I think that traumatized me. But the idea that you're holding this all in here and you just feel like this is the way life feels in that moment when you're like, oh my God, yes. I don't have to feel bad all the time. And that's interesting. Wow, yeah. Hillary, that's great. So I finished up, you know, my time on that island and spent a couple months in the, in the Netherlands, actually, before I came back to the U.S. and decided to, you know, get involved. I, I Luckily, I had somebody in my life who was a caregiver in Massachusetts and was growing for his mother, actually, who had spinal cancer. And sadly, she has since passed, but he literally brought me to Canacare Docs. And paid for me to get paid for my appointment, paid for me wow. to get my medical card, brought me. Was this before adult room. use? This is before adult use. And you know, even having the connection with the plants and allowing me to get hands-on with it and help right. with the cultivation, that connection to the plant was even, you know, part of my healing journey. I believe with that. cannabis. So that kind of turned into, you know, becoming the go-to person for friends and family who are interested in cannabis, helping them navigate how to incorporate it into, you know, your life. And I really, the more that I learned about it, Joyce, I got really passionate and kind of upset, I guess, about the harms of prohibition and the lack of access and access and the ability for this to be researched and even normalized as an alternative to you know all the other substances out there that people reach for and so that really just lit a a fire for me and I dove into learning everything that I possibly could researching getting hands-on with the plant working with my caregiver to help grow and produce medicine and help other patients you know navigate it And when adult use legalization came about in Massachusetts, I had already been working a little bit on the the hemp and CBD side of things as a rep for a hemp farm from Colorado. And that, you know, when the first cannabis control commission meeting happened in Massachusetts, I moved back to the Boston area and showed up to the very first meeting and have been showing up ever since, you know, and have, you know, we met at all the events. You're the bug in their air. You're someone yeah, who knows what I, they're talking about. Okay, I kind of carved a path for myself, you know, or in the industry, just from, from showing up and getting involved and getting involved in different projects and then, you know, different opportunities that would come my way. So I've done a lot of, you know, different things. In- wow. All right, so you're, I just want to kind of Okay, so I didn't know any this. I didn't know any of this of her personal story. So this was very. This is very different from what other people are telling me. I mean, it is a healing story, but often it comes from going down that path of medications. I think it sort of seems more typical. Yeah, that was what was being suggested and offered to me, and I knew, you know, from my experience watching, you know, other women in my family, you know, struggle with anxiety, depression, and and trauma as well, you know, gen- generational kind of trauma that has kind of affected our, my family. Mm-hmm. And I knew that, you know, the prescriptions and some of these other interventions weren't really the way that I wanted to go. And you so, were, you, you're the health, I mean, you're the body connection. I mean, I say yeah. often the, the mind body spirit, I had no, I had no mind body connection. I took the bar pregnant and just disconnected, but wow. that was very simple. 
I just, I think that's my generation. It is what we had to do. So you were connected to your body, at least at some level, you didn't completely disconnect and you didn't go down the pharmaceutical path. So in some ways you were able to heal yourself. And so I'm kind of curious, isn't it very illegal where you were in Cambodia? Oh, it was. Yeah. No, that was all a hypothetical story. But no, but But, I'm just saying that that's an interesting, that's where you were helped. That's where you were healed in that place. Yeah. Yeah. It, you know, it, all over the world, all yeah. in every single corner of the world, cannabis has, you know, it's always found a way to persist. 10,000 years. And yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. But, you know, I definitely felt so grateful that I had somebody in my life that showed me the ropes because otherwise, you know, it was a scary time where, mm-hmm. you know, I didn't know what the options were. I didn't know how best to kind of incorporate it as I'm being offered these other alternatives. And so, you know, being able to have somebody help me navigate was huge because also then subsequently I had a bad car accident a couple of years later. That is another great story. So, so you're having mind, body, soul, spirit. You're using this plan for yeah. all, the entire process. So I think yeah. that's interesting about having a caregiver, someone working with you because what often I hear is that, you know, you could see the nurse or the doctor, but no one's really helping you. The bud tender can kind of prescribe, you know, they can give you a product, but we are, it seems that the intention is always on the person because it's so personal. I, you know, keep a journal, make sure you're very conscious of how you're feeling, but you do need a sounding board. You need someone at some point. So you had someone to help you navigate the products and navigate your own experience. Yeah. That's a whole exactly. important yeah. part of this. Yeah. Yeah. And that's really what I was focused on for, you know, the first few years of my journey, you know, kind of working in cannabis was helping people navigate it because it's, you know, it can be overwhelming. And, you know, if I hadn't had the lifeline of cannabis, you know, I was facing a surgery after my car accident that would have never allowed me to lift my right arm over above shoulder level ever again. That was what that was kind of my options was a lifetime prescription for opioids and, or this surgery that will limit your range of functional range of motion. I mean, that seems, that just seems like a misguided issue within our medical system that we're like, and even with our politics, we're so extreme and we're so whatever, that's a whole nother talk, but let's talk about, let's go back to Massachusetts. So you've been very uniquely involved with the Massachusetts cannabis commission. I know we're having a lot of more commissioners are going to come on this year. That's been a big thing. You're in fall river, right? And for people who don't know, there's a whole cannabis fall river mayor issue. So the politics of this, you're connected kind of deep into it. So where do you see, I don't know, Massachusetts is Massachusetts. What are some of the unique challenges you think that we're addressing well? What do you think some of the issues you think should be addressed by the next commissioners in a better way? Do you have a vision? Yeah, well, you know, what was really encouraging for me to see, you know, this last round of regulatory review was the delivery licensing. Mm -hmm. You know, that is something that I personally, you know, was, was fighting yep. for. And we had, we had Janelle Goins on the show two weeks ago. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. Janelle and Aaron, yep. Devin, yep. Chris February, yep. you know, a lot of the social equity applicants themselves really, you know, made their voices heard. And that's why this effort was able to be successful to, to allow for this license type that more closely resembles the way that the industry has you know, mm-hmm. done business for a long time. Right. Uh, and to really provide that other option and opportunity of, a, of an entry point. So I think that, you know, despite all of the tension around that, you know, as we know, there was a lot of contention on other, the other side of that issue that people didn't want to see the ability for 
a delivery operator to to purchase at wholesale and you know kind of own their own destiny in that regard but you know the the advocacy efforts prevailed and in the end the delivery operator license is now coming to fruition and the application yeah. should be out pretty soon. So I think should, they went, I think it was 420 when they actually went before the board down and where, yeah. so we decided that was a great sign for her. Absolutely. That's good. So I do use that as a hopeful story. Yeah. So that's great. They also have been working really hard on implementing the hemp industry survive and thrive amendment, which was something that I worked on for, you know, I was working on for a couple of years and it never made sense to me that cannabis control commission licensed companies weren't able to use and source hemp and hemp cannabinoids and products from our local. Oh, they are. Can you, can you explain what the, the issue is? I guess I don't really. Understand. Yeah. Okay. So previously the enabling statute for marijuana in Massachusetts, chapter 94 G is, you know, the adult use mm-hmm. chapter that ha- used to have one small line of the law that said, to paraphrase, a CCC licensed company may only touch or do anything, buy, sell, transact business with cannabinoids that are also produced under a CCC license. So that has prevented, you know, sourcing hemp derived CBD or minor cannabinoids or even finished products that are already allowed to be sold in other kinds of stores and online and all over the place, but dispensaries have been unable to, to source and utilize those products. And meanwhile, our local licensed hemp producers and farmers in Massachusetts have been kind of struggling with the, the current regulatory and like policy environment around hemp. So they've been really limited in what they've even been able to produce due to the nature of being licensed by MDAR. They have to be compliant with MDAR's rules. They're regulated by different, are they regulated by different agencies? And that's, that is. Yeah. So in this state, if you're growing or extracting or manufacturing with hemp, you must have a license from our department of agricultural resources from MDAR, but CBD companies from other states don't have a license, have to have a license from MDAR, so they don't have to follow MDAR's rules, right? And there's no retailing, a retail enforcement or, you know, oversight of hemp CBD products. So, so what's the fight back and what are they, how are you trying to fix it and what's the fight back against you? So the way that, you know, so far what we've been able to accomplish, I drafted a bill that changed that one line of the law. And oh. that would be like, you know, what I would call curative legislation that it was just in hindsight, the marijuana law was written before the hemp law and right. didn't really foresee that there may be another chapter, another and do, you, um, do, you, do, you, do you people working with you, Congress or policy, whatever? We did. Yeah. So I was able to find a senator. It took me a long time, but I've Senator Ryan Fatman okay. filed this as a budget amendment in the fiscal 20 fiscal year 2020 budget okay and success was a long road but we successfully got it passed through adopted into the senate budget approved out of the the committee and then adopted by the the full house and full senate and then signed into law by governor baker so So, all right just so whenever people say it's hard to get stuff done yeah it is but you're, is. you got to follow through. Like you pinpointed, hard, but... but you pinpointed a specific problem. You found a specific solution. You found mm-hmm. an ally in politics, which there should be more, but whatever. You found an ally of the farmer and, 
and who are able to pass it and then we're fixed an, a pretty simple problem. So, wow, yeah. thank you for doing that. So are the of farmers feeling confident or a little bit better now? Or? Well, a little more confident now, you know, and I do want to say that the only reason that that bill was able to be successful was because of the other advocates that supported it. You know, I work with a small team. We call ourselves the, the council, the hemp council of the Massachusetts Hemp Coalition. And so that's a group of hemp farmers and producers in Massachusetts that we use as kind of like an action network to get the word out about advocacy. So we all worked together and I, you know, leveraged and, and used my connections on the CCC license side as I'm speaking with people for whole, about wholesale to ask them to call their legislators, please email your legislators. And we really kept up a, a strong grassroots effort good. all the way over the finish line. Well, because if you don't, if they don't, again, the politicians are followers. If they don't hear from us, they don't even know it's an issue and they don't know all the answers and people with money, you know, are hiring lobbyists, you know, mm-hmm. to be, do the job for them. So this is really important. I, th- I heard there are like some cranberry boggers who are turning into hemp farmers and people are trying to transition their land. Is that true? I have heard of that. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, repurposing land that has been you know, previously grown other agricultural crops is a, a you know great thing to do with hemp. But this brings me to, yeah. you know, to your original question was where yep. do we go from here? Yep. On the, and this is on the legislative side, okay. not really the regulatory side, but in Massachusetts, our current legal definition of agriculture doesn't include the word hemp. So that means that licensed hemp producer, licensed hemp cultivators in Massachusetts may not grow hemp or get licensed to grow hemp on what's called agricultural preservation restricted land. Mm-hmm. APR land. So that's a special like tax class of a designation that you can have on your property that basically says this is going to be, you know, reserved, cons- you know, conserved for agricultural use only and will not be developed commercially. Okay. But since hemp is not included in the definition of agriculture, it's excluded from being able to be grown on that kind of land. So we have acres and acres and acres of farmland of agricultural preserved land in Massachusetts that is ripe for the economic opportunity of hemp that we need to change another law. It's another piece of curative legislation that we need to pass in order for that amendment to be successful. And how are we going to do that? Well, I'm, (laughs) I'm really glad you asked because, you know, this is an idea that I've kicked around. I've heard this idea from others. You know, I I had a meeting with Commissioner Flanagan a week or so ago about this hemp stuff. And and we talked about this idea that, you know, she brought it up, actually. There's a lot of pending legislation that in the previous session, was made it through committee or you know moved forward and and was sitting kind of in the process Mm -hmm. without actually getting passed that has been refiled and revived and you know is active again this session but it's things that we really need on both sides of the industry that would go a long way to moving things forward for the collective, let's say the cannabis industry in Massachusetts, where we have the marijuana side and the hemp side, it's all the same. Cannabis, exactly. Cannabis. So we should be able to coordinate and have commerce, you know, between two sides. Right. And on the, the marijuana side, we've been struggling with, 
you know, lack of funding for social equity businesses. Oh, yes. There's some bills for the social equity trust and the social equity loan and grant fund Mm -hmm. that would provide no interest loans or forgivable loans and grants for, for social equity applicants that are part of the, you know, the group that has been directly impacted by, you know, the harms of the war on drugs. Yes. Providing them capital for, you know, opportunities. Capital. So important. So important. And the host community agreement oh. situation. So what? Okay, it's <laughs> kind of a hot topic right now. There's some, yeah. Let's talk about that. Like, let's talk uh, about it. Because okay, so anyone who doesn't know, these are like extortion agreements that <laughs> businesses have with communities, and cannabis communities want to get into these towns. They're being as pleasant as possible. There's a three percent allowed, and then there's other stuff that's going on. And the cannabis commission says they have no authority over it. I don't really understand what's going on. So. All right. So mm-hmm. what do you, what's going on and what, well, how is it being fixed? So the Cannabis Control Commission said, you know, a couple of years ago, they don't believe that they have the clear, direct legislative authority to regulate and inf- to enforce the rules around host community agreements. They, you know, they're not confident. They think that they may get sued by the municipal, Mass Municipal Association or, or you know, some municipal governments. Should they choose to do that? Because it may be seen as overstepping their legislative powers or their powers based on um, what they're allowed to do. So they have asked the legislature for that clarity in the form of a bill that would essentially reform the host community agreement situation and clearly give them that authority so that the rules that are set out in the law would actually be followed. Because what happens is when you have a town or a city government that has many applicants that want to get in to, to put up an establishment in their town, they are allowed to, you know, they see dollar signs and, you know, there's the 3% local option tax, you know, that retail establishments, you know, will provide to the town. But there's also the host community fee, the community impact payments that can be up to 3%. And what that law says is that it's supposed to be directly related to the actual costs of the establishment operating in that town. So maybe it's increased police presence, maybe it's infrastructure, maybe it's fixing the sidewalk parking, you know, who knows what it is, but there's supposed to be receipts. They're supposed to document those costs and make sure that it matches up. And that's not the way that many of these agreements have gone down. Well, wasn't there a suit? There was a suit in Haverhill, right? There, yeah, yeah, basically. And shout out to Caroline and Adam Pinot of STEM Haverhill, that they are, you know, a local owned business that has bravely, you know, they have stepped up as leaders around this issue and been willing to file, you know, against their, the, the town government there because, what Haverhill has done is, you know, like some of these other towns, they say, okay, well, you signed this document, you agreed to just generally, you know, 3%. So, you know, and it does say in their agreement that it's supposed to be documented. So they've have tried to claim costs, exorbitant costs associated with increased youth, you know, drug activity, all these other basically reefer madness kind of claims that there's no evidence to suggest that a this is happening and b they they won't produce the documentation of those actual costs it seems to just be a a grab you know a money grab here that they're 
just saying that this is what has been caused and asking for this money and all STEM Hayroll wants to them to do is to, sh- to show the documentation per their agreement and per the law. Right. You know, well, bravo to them. I've been, in, I, I mean, I was in meetings two years ago where lawyers were literally saying, if this were a normal business, they would advise mm-hmm. their clients not to sign these agreements. They have <laughs> yeah. no choice. Well, props to the mayor of Northampton as well, who oh, yeah. basically came out himself and said, Hey, this doesn't make sense. We actually can't find, you know, costs associated with this to make it make sense. So we're just going to do away with those community agreements. If only more municipalities had that attitude. Alex Uh, Morse. But then we have, let's let's talk about, let's talk about the other extreme. Let's talk about Fall River. Like (laughs) we can see how this could go very badly people. Yeah. I mean, you know, Fall River, this is a case of, you know, I, I guess I'm not really sure exactly what and how much I should should say because this is also an active case that's literally going yeah. on. Well, what did you can say what we know in public? Uh, the public is actually yeah. doing the right thing in terms of these agreements with bringing dispensaries in by yeah, in a big way enough to be taken. It's a federal case, right? Yeah, here's I guess if I phrase it this way, it's okay. He's accused of extorting marijuana companies in exchange for the letters of non-opposition required to obtain host community agreement and to have your app license application be complete and that allegedly included things like you know cash payments kickbacks you know yep. the normal the, table, the normal things, things that would yeah yeah just definitely not on the up and up and unfortunately you know f- companies in fall river kind of got caught up in that And it's, you know, it's what an awful situation. And the reason that I think that the opportunity for that to even happen, first of all, the the gray area around the authority to enforce host community agreements, but really from the get-go, there has never been a municipal level mandate for equity. And that really kind of boils down to some of this problem is that the state, the commission at the state level has the equity mandate that says that they must, you know, promote inclusion and opportunity and support for communities most harmed by the war on drugs. And they do that through the economic empowerment program and the social equity program that the commission puts on that the third cohort is actually open for applications recently announced, but the municipal level, there's no mandate it's interesting. That kind. And, and there was a lawsuit in Cambridge, or there is a, I'm not sure what's going on with it. So there's something. You no, know, I think that that one was dismissed, but, oh, was. Okay. you know, that's another one that is, has been, you know, it's tough to talk about because it's these sticky issues, you know, where it's a no brainer that to me, that the people who have been affected by being arrested or persecuted for cannabis, small businesses, people that have been operating in this industry, you know, let's be honest, it's been around for a lot longer than legalization has said it's okay. Oh, and good pe- Lord. In, yeah. in my mind, people have stepped up to the plate in the absence of, of fairness and, and in the absence of, of proper rules and, and laws to serve needs of the market and provide people safe access at like great personal risk to themselves when it never should have been illegal in the first place. Mm-hmm. You yeah, know? yeah, absolutely. I mean, this is why I've come around and, you know, the, and the federal, yeah. Especially when we know that certain populations have been more targeted and more harmed by these laws. It's critically important that the implementation of legalization, where there's nothing like this that has ever happened before in the 
industry where you have a fully functioning industry that's been around for a long, long time. And now we're trying to stand up kind of like on top of it, this legalized industry that isn't really providing pathways, easy, easy, accessible pathways for people to, to make that transition. And so what's kind of happening is, you know, sometimes I refer to it as kind of like a colonialization of capitalism, just kind of coming in and, and taking over what once was, you know, robust, locally driven, you know, kind of industry. And, you know, in Cambridge in particular, is to bring it back to that, a group of, you know, local advocates, grassroots advocates and applicants, they really wanted to see a specific local mandate for it since there isn't one across the state. And they were able to accomplish getting the city council to pass an ordinance that gave a two-year exclusivity period to some of those applicants that they would have a period where only those applicants, economic empowerment, you know, would be able to get a license for adult use. Right. And that kind of shut out some of the existing medical companies that don't qualify for that status that wanted to go recreational and companies that wanted to get into Cambridge that kind of pushed back on it. And, uh, you know, there was a lot of tension around that and a subsequent lawsuit you know, against the city of Cambridge that I, you know, what I think happened, if I remember incorrectly, is that it was dismissed and, and dropped. Yeah. I mean, it just it uh, but, became a point of, you know, there is, and I will kind of, it kind of goes back to the social equity license discussion mm-hmm. we had, you know, that was a win. It, people were gathering together. That was, you know, the group that formed against the other delivery agency, the MCAT against, you know, they kind of rose up and their voices yeah. were heard, which was great, which also comes back to the commission. So you've been following them since the very beginning. I think everyone's gone. <laughs> Who's going to yeah, be? Honestly, so who do you think should be on there? And what do you think voices, do you think it's going to change? Like I know like the attorney general got to appoint someone, someone else gets, you know, different perspectives. Do you think their perspectives are getting closer together as they grew as a committee? I hope so. You know, Commissioner Hoffman is going to be the, you know, the last remaining original commission member now that Commissioner Flanagan has gone too. And I think, Having some, you know, new, fresh perspectives on the commission can only be a good thing. Who's going to fill Commissioner Flanagan's seat? I'm not sure. That is this one that is appointed solely by the governor. And if I'm being honest with you, it, it does make me a little nervous because Governor Baker hasn't always been the friendliest to cannabis. And, you know, we'll see. We'll do you see. think he'll, do you think is, is he getting a friendlier now that there's money coming in? Maybe. I mean, we would hope so, but we'll see. We'll see what happens with this appointment. I was really encouraged by his willingness to, you know, to sign the the hemp amendment into law and that there was the understanding there of, you know, how this, you know, can benefit all different kinds of people. And I guess that brings me back to, you know, where else can we go from here in terms of regulations and and the laws, like I said, there's a lot of pending legislation. There's the lo- social equity loan fund bill. I love that. I didn't, that's, I mean, that's really, we talk about that even the private side and the yeah. policies groups. We talk about how do we build an equity room where there's no interest, but, you know, people have, you know, skin in the game, but yeah. there's not this huge cost to it. There's not an enormous cost to it. Yeah. Well, exactly. And this would take some funds from the tax revenue and also matched from pri- contributions from private companies that would create this fund to be administered by 
Uh, I think it's HUD, the Department of Housing and Urban Development. They manage a lot of other grant and loan programs and things like that. So they would, like you said, it's, they wouldn't have a stake in it other than serving that social equity applicant. So there's that bill. There's the, a bill to allow hemp grow, being grown on APR land. Right. And changing that definition of agriculture, which is going to be important because the, the when I wrote the bill, it says cultivated and manufactured. So starting with the legislative intent is, you know, and why this got passed was to protect the farmers. So the starting material hemp for anything that's going to come into the CCC license supply chain must be grown in Massachusetts. And so we need to open up all this farmland, Right. I think that, and it's good for the land people. If you open yeah. up the land, hemp is good for the land. Exactly. Yeah. And there's bills around the host community agreement. Oh, the host community, yeah, that's key. There's a bill to add some um, conditions to the medical qualifying conditions list for, oh, good. you know, okay. for veteran PTSD. Okay, oh, good. good. Something important to me. So there's, uh, I mean, I just, there's, a, seems lot. Like there's yeah. a lot of, co- there's a cohort of people in Massachusetts. How do you feel just in terms, you know, it's still very state specific, mm-hmm. you know? Although well, I do I think that are you doing anything, are you doing anything at the federal level? Are you doing anything with the banking? Because that's huge. No, I haven't really been very active at the federal level. I keep tabs on it, and I, you know, I'll write send an email off to our our Congress people here and there. But I'm really really focused on our local state. I I see an opportunity for all of the pending legislation around both hemp and marijuana that has been refiled to be consolidated into one big bill that this could happen at the joint committee on cannabis policy. They have the ability to take pieces of bills or, you know, mash up bill language, add stuff in. Who's who's on that committee now? Who's on the joint committee? Do you know? Well, let me pull up the list here. It it was Dave Rogers at some point, but I don't think. Yeah. He's he's no longer on the committee, but I'll pull up the list while we're talking. And and I I tried to, I tried to interview Dave in his office a couple of years ago, but he sort of blew me off if he's listening. Uh, Well, (laughs) they are very, very busy people, but you know, what I'm hoping is that, the success that you know of this hemp amendment you know was because i had we had people from both sides of the cannabis aisle if you will yes fighting in and contacting and kind of working together and getting behind that together because See? it's in the best interest of both sides cannabis so, can bring the world together even in politics isn't that kind of yes. exciting and that's what i'm <laughs> hoping you know i'm hoping that I, you know, I, it's kind of, I guess, a pie in the sky idea. And I, I did put together all the bill language just to see what it would look like and came up with an acronym. Oh, well, so Hillary, I forgot. We're like, we've been talking for so long. I have to like, this has been so great. Our talk conversation with Hillary up. King. I just kind yeah. of got off track back, but I just got to give a quick shout out before we come back to my friends at Red Belly Honey, who probably, I bet the bees like the hemp too. So I just read Belly Honey. You know, I like to drink my tea. And at the end of the day, I curl up on the couch with my nice warm herbal tea sweetened with honey to take the edge off. It just, it helps me sleep better. And all moms know a good night's sleep helps us be the best mom self. And a honey that is a bit different from anything I've tried before is red belly honey. This is a hemp honey that contains the best benefits of CBD, but this honey is very very different from anything you've tried before. That's because the bees infuse the honey with CBD. Yes, you heard that right. The bees do all the work. This isn't lab created or manufactured. 
These bees drink nectar from the wildflowers plants as well as a patented hemp nectar that makes the honey so special. The result is a CBD-rich honey that's more efficient and works faster because it's water-soluble and has higher bioavailability. And I don't just stir it in my tea. I like to drizzle it on my morning toast and mix it in my yogurt. And sometimes I shake it in my favorite cocktail. And my husband, he says it's delicious right off the spoon. And if you need more persuasion, Food and Wine Magazine calls it the best pick of 2020 and worth the hype. Where can you find this magical honey? You can find it at redbellyhoney.com. And when you are ready to try this magical honey, go to redbellyhoney.com where your first jar will be $20 off. Just add your email and you'll get a discount code for your very first purchase. You are going to love it. Red Belly Honey. All right. So, oh my God, killer. We talked for so long. Let's talk about just coming up on our time. So I haven't seen you in a while. (laughs) What are you looking forward to in 2021 events, conferences, things that you think are going to happen here in Massachusetts or far away? And yeah. Mm, That's a great question. You know, I'm hope I'm looking forward to the harvest cup, I guess. Okay. Primarily that's been an event that has been awesome in Massachusetts. I've been everyone since the very first one. And And when is that supposed to happen? I think December, Okay. typically it's around December, Harvest Cup, you know, when the outdoor growing season happens and harvest kind of comes like October Mm -hmm. and so once people have time to cure up their plants and we got... Oh, is that the one one in Worcester? I think I've been there. Yeah, Yeah, it's in Worcester at the DCU Center and they have a competition as well. That's really fun. That that was really fun. I like that one. So I'm looking forward to that for sure. And I'm also looking forward to the state house opening up, to be honest with you, because advocacy is really hard when you can't just walk in and knock on doors. (laughs) I know. We were just talking about that the other day, that it's, you know, it's very personal. And I do like politics. Like I was on one of these Zoom calls last night with Ayanna Presley talking about criminal justice reform and you know, there are 275 of my favorite people. Like I can't see any of them. And they actually started the meeting, like everyone give each other a hug. Yeah. <laughs> so we'll see each other soon. Definitely. All right, Hillary, if people want to get in touch with you, we didn't even talk about your work, but there's so much else to talk about. <laughs> if they want to get in touch with you, or if they want to get involved with the things that you're doing to save our world with the hemp, how do they reach you? Well, you can email me. My email is hillarydking at gmail.com, H-I-L-L-A-R-Y-D-K-I-N-G. You can follow me um, on Instagram. I'm not super active on social media, but I do post updates about the legislative stuff. It's Hillary D. King is my handle. And yeah, please reach out if you're interested in, in anything that we talked about, hemp legislation, cannabis advocacy, wholesale products in Massachusetts. It'll all be in the show notes because that's what we do. All right. Thank you, Hillary. Thank you for joining us today. Wow. This is good. Uh, From my Canabro, David Jazz. Good seeing you. Great to see you as well. Our Canamom show team, Catherine and Hayden, another great job this week. We are launching the Women of the Technicolor Cannabis Quilt Giveaway is out there. That entry form, enter your name. Sing the song. Sing the song <laughs> while you're entering the name. <laughs> That'll be, you're going to want to love it. We're going to do a, something fun on June 1st. I might even get to meet my interns who I've only met on Zoom for the past year. Isn't that weird? I want to thank Josh Lampkin and Bella Jaffe for writing and performing the Canamom theme music. And I want to thank you for taking the time to listen to the Canamom show, where we are talking about caring for and giving voice to women in the emerging cannabis industry, one can of story at a time. Please follow Canamon Show on social media. Listen anywhere you listen to your favorite podcast. 
I'm your host, Joyce Gerber. This is the Canon Mom Show, and we are a production of Pod 617, the Boston Podcast Network. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Are you looking for the next great cannabis business to invest in? Then you need to check out the MJ Bulls podcast. Hi, I'm Dan Humston. Join me each week as I speak to both cannabis entrepreneurs who are raising capital and cannabis investors who are investing capital. Our 10-minute episodes are perfect for the busy investor. Start listening to the MJ Bulls podcast today, wherever you listen to podcasts, and who knows, maybe you'll discover the next cannabis unicorn.